Hi, I'm Arielle Demeros, and I'm hosting a new podcast called Vice News Reports. With so much going on around the world, so many people telling you they have the definitive take on the news, we bring you to the news so you can hear it for yourself. From the newsroom that has earned more Emmy nominations than any other news team, this podcast goes where the story is, from conflict zones to the labyrinth of digital life. You've never traveled quite like this. Get the Vice News Reports podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Fight Night, a new podcast from iHeartRadio. They thought he had robbed the deadliest men in this country. Guys who would not hesitate to blow your head off. This story from Atlanta, Georgia, has been reported for 50 years. But now, for the first time, you're going to hear what really happened from the people who lived it. Listen and follow Fight Night on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. In the U.S. presidential election campaign of 1884, Republican nominee James Blaine made hay of the fact that his Democratic opponent, Grover Cleveland, had fathered an illegitimate child with a woman he was not married to. In 1928, Herbert Hoover attacked his opponent, New York Governor Al Smith, as a drunk and claimed that as a Catholic, he would be beholden to the Vatican. LBJ in 1964 painted Barry Goldwater as a racist and said a Goldwater presidency would lead to nuclear war. Personal attacks and aggressive posturing, even totally uncivilized behavior from candidates running for the presidency, is in fact not actually a new development in American politics. Heck, in 1828, Andrew Jackson spread a rumor that incumbent President John Quincy Adams had been a pimp, and Adams responded by accusing Jackson of actual murder. Dirty politics are not new in America. But fast-forwarding to the year 2020, in a presidential campaign that most Americans have resigned ourselves to accepting would be perhaps the most aggressive and dirty in any of our lifetimes. In a year when partisanship and polarization has so divided the American electorate, this week, Republicans and Democrats alike found, for the first time in years, something that most everyone could agree on. The first presidential debate between President Donald Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden was unprofessional, unproductive, unhelpful, and damn near unwatchable. I'm Clay Aiken. It's Wednesday, September 30th. For a second time in four months, Politicon will attempt to press pause this week. Pause on the posturing, pause on the outrage, pause on the hyperbole, and try to make sense of what we all just went through as a nation last night. To do it, we've called once again on our good friend, former Maryland Lieutenant Governor and former Chairman of the Republican National Committee, Michael Steele, one of my personal favorites, who I hope can help us unpack what for most Americans was a very unsettling evening. Did Vice President Biden handle himself in a situation in a way that he could be proud of? Was President Trump's behavior a true reflection of how he thinks and feels, or was it the behavior of a desperate candidate who's only trying to say what he needs to win? What are both campaigns and candidates likely thinking today? Is there anything valuable or productive that we can download from the first face-to-face encounter between the two men vying to run the most powerful nation on earth? And if the potential leaders of our country can't even pretend to do it, how the heck are we going to get along? I had kind of called a pause back in June because the the protests and the controversy and the some of the rioting too after George Floyd's uh, murder had just kind of really stressed me out and made me feel very 
upset about the future of the country. And I said, listen, I don't want to have arguments. I just want to talk to people who are willing to listen. And you came on and you were my therapist that week, really, <laughs> and made me feel better. And I said, you know what? I, I'm, not, I'm just not the kind of person, honestly, who gets overly emotional about things and upset. I try my best to find the positive in things and just, but last night was another one of those times where I thought, crap. And I told some friends of mine today who wanted to get my take on last night's debate. I said, you know what? I really want to wait until after I've spoken to Michael Steele because I'm hoping you're going to be able to make me feel better. But if you can't, I'm, I'm not going to be able to blame you. So Dude, you're that, gonna be my just tell me you're what you think. You're going to be my therapist today. <laughs> Let's see. We'll see. I mean, you, did you did you get through the whole thing, first of all? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the whole I thing. I, I think I a lot of people didn't, don't you? No, they didn't. I, I saw it on Twitter. It's funny. At one point on Twitter, uh, I think it was about the first 20 minutes, I said, oh, my God, we're only 20 minutes into this thing. I cannot believe it. Stop. The only thing that that has come out of the first 20 minutes is, uh, would you shut up, man, right. <laughs> like Joe Biden? And then about 40 minutes into it, I said, I sent out a tweet saying, stop. Let's not ever do this again. No, there's no need for a second debate or third debate. No, we're done. We're done. This this the vote. Let's just vote. Get this over with. Because right. this there's no good that's going to come out of any of this. Did did anybody did anybody get hurt more? Did one did one party come out hurt more than the other? Do you think? Oh, uh, there's no doubt that, that Trump skewered skewered uh, his presidential bid, his reelection. He skewered it. I mean, absolutely took the skewers and just like stuck it in vital bo body parts. It just, Are you that it confident? Was, really? Well, and here's why, because the one thing at the end of the day, regardless of how people shake out elections and regardless of what they say or what they think about the candidates, when it comes to the incumbent, whether they are the local County executive or the president of the United States running for election, they are waiting for you to give them a reason for your reelection. That is, that is politics 101 for an incumbent is to always give the voter a reason to reelect you. In other words, make the case for your reelection. And you do that by talking about the things you accomplished over the last three or four years, what you've done. And if you're in the middle of a crisis, you talk about how you've managed that crisis, how you've helped heal the community or the country, how you provided the resources that the professionals needed to deal with the crisis at hand. So that's, that's what that's all about. That's the only reason you do a debate when you're an incumbent is to make the case for your reelection. You largely ignore your opponent. You don't give a rat's ass about them. Um, you just, you know, you just sort of, you treat them as if they are a pimple on your behind, right? Annoying, <laughs> but it's hidden and no one will see it, right? So that's mm -hmm. pretty much it. That's not what Trump did. He stood buck naked in front of the country and, and just, just exposed his own weaknesses, his own insecurities, his own pettiness, his petulant behavior, his schoolyard antics. and. And to your point, America literally started turning the channel about 20 minutes into the conversation. Why then is this 
or has, I mean, listen, this, I, I think we would both probably agree. This was not something we completely didn't expect, right? Right. We we've seen we've seen behavior from this president that has been unconventional, to say the yes. least. Yes. Um, we anticipated there would be interrupting. We anticipating there would be we anticipated there'd be attacks. This isn't new. Last night was not a new behavior from him. Right. So why and this is a there's a lot of stuff. Listen, if we when if we ever get to talk about stuff that's policy, I'm sure you and I would disagree on quite a bit. And that's fine. Reasonable people can disagree on a lot of things. I right. don't think reasonable people could have watched that debate last night and thought anything other than the guy on the left was acting like a child. So why has this election still been as close as it is? Because it speaks to an undercurrent that a lot of folks uh, don't want to acknowledge. And it was brought to the surface by the murder of George Floyd um, and the ongoing saga behind Breonna Taylor, the, the responses to the, uh, the civil unrest, the riots, uh, the burning and looting, which was all ancillary because 90% of the protests that occurred in this country were peaceful. Um, they were largely uneventful held. Al Sharpton had almost 300,000 people here on the National Mall on August 28th, and no one got a parking ticket, let alone arrested. So, you know, this, this, but these narratives were created very much as we were told there were caravans coming across the border, as we were told that, you know, all Mexicans are rapists and murderers, as we were told that, you know, black people are from shithole countries, as we were told that, you know, uh, they're good people on both sides. Um, and as it was affirmed last night mm -hmm. to white nationalists that just stand back, stand by, right? So there's an element of this country that buys into all of that. And that's why this election is close. It is also close because we have reached the point in our progress as Americans, where we take for granted our, our success. Um, and when we find ourselves on difficult times, falling on difficult shores, we look for, we start to look for someone to blame. And so it is easy to point at others, whether it's someone who looks like me, who moves into a community that looks like you, or as someone who looks like our Hispanic cousins and brothers and sisters out there who move into neighborhoods um, where they aren't expected to be, um, you're, you're going to look for people to, to sort of project your frustrations on. And Trump was the avatar for that in 2016. And he has been able to manipulate that continually over that time, since that time, to what we saw last night. So that 40%, that 38, 40% of people out there um, who stand by him, yeah, they'll tell him, oh yeah, you know, he, you know, the tax cuts. Well, a lot of those people are talking about tax cuts they didn't get a benefit from. Yeah. A lot of those people are talking about, you know, um, you know, Supreme Court justices. Well, Supreme Court justices, I keep saying this, uh, Clay, they're, they're not going to overturn Roe versus Wade. I'm sorry. You could, you could put the Barrett on the court all day long. Trust me on this. This woman, what they don't know about her is, yes, she's a Catholic, and yes, she's a conservative, but she's a charismatic Catholic. 
and their, the tenets of their tradition inside the Catholic Church. Hell, the Pope appointed one of the one of the members of their community as a bishop. That should give you some idea. <laughs> well, you know, I, I want to come back to I want to come back to the Supreme Court thing because I had a I had a very different viewpoint after sure. last night's debate. But so I want to come back to that. But you did say something a minute ago about Trump being the avatar and people of, of people needing someone to blame. And it makes me ask this question. Is there a risk that liberals, my side of the aisle, Democrats, are doing in a way the same thing by blaming all of this on Trump when the reality is perhaps I'm asking if the re- if the reality is that once Trump is no longer president, please, Lord Jesus, um, <laughs> that the problem won't be gone away. I mean, if there are 45 percent oh. of the country that believe what he's saying and want what he's saying and won't leave him even after something last night, like last night, if he's gone, that's not going to all of a sudden make them be willing to like Joe Biden or anyone else, really, right? I mean, it's, are we blaming, are we acting as if though Trump is who we need to blame when the truth is maybe the problem is that we've got a country where 45% think the sky is green and 45% think the sky is red? Uh, I, think, I think your analysis there is spot on. I think it's reflected in the fact that we've already seen elements of this inside the Democratic Party. It's called Occupy Wall Street. Um, and it's called Bernie Sanders. They're, I mean, Bernie and Donald Trump are two sides of the same populist coin. And a lot of people don't like to hear that, particularly some of the Bernie Sanders folks, because they're like, oh, we're not compared to Trump. You compare us to Trump. I'm saying, well, because you guys meet at the same spot about how you look at government, how you look at corporate America, how you look at Wall Street, how you I, look. And I to some degree, you. how you look at, I want things my way and don't care how anybody yes, else feels. <laughs> exactly. 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 And that, and that is, a, that is a big part of all of this and how it all plays itself out. So you're exactly right that the reality for a, a Biden-Harris administration is that, it, and it's a harsh, cold reality on two fronts. One, Donald Trump will be a former president of the United States with a Twitter mm-hmm. account. Okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let and that per- sink And in. perhaps a TV news network. <laughs> I, not, not perhaps. Yeah, right. Not perhaps. <laughs> it, no, it, that was, that's always been the plan. I'm sure. That, I mean, that goes back to conversations with Roger Ailes when Roger Ailes was still running Fox. That was the that was going to be the offshoot of the 2016 cycle because no one, including Trump, thought he was going to be president. So their whole plan was this was to help set up his rebrand mm. to get out and start Trump TV, right? And get out and of debt. Ailes was, <laughs> as Ailes started Fox, Ailes was going to start Trump TV because mm. Ailes knew the writing was on the wall for him given all the other revelations that were starting to come out about how he was actually running Fox. So you're saying Trump's going to have a microphone still and Joe Biden, even if, if Joe, Joe Biden Biden's becomes president. Have to deal, right. He will not be that, that former president who goes quietly into that good night to build homes like a Jimmy Carter or to paint pictures like George Bush, right? That ain't happening. Donald Trump will be an, an aggrieved, angry, uh, former president 
who feels that he got robbed of the presidency and will tweet about everything that Joe Biden does. He will regale us with new episodes of Burisma. He will regale us with new episodes of conspiracies backed up and promoted um, and stoked uh, by uh, white nationalist populists around the country. Like, uh, I don't even want to use their names because I don't want to give them any more Power yeah, we heard have. them. La- we had their heard their name last night. So right, and that's enough. About. Yeah, um, and and so you know the reality of it is you. That's number one, and number two, you put your finger on it. He's going to have about forty percent of the country who still hang are hanging out with the guy he just fired. So what worries you the most? Then it doesn't sound to me as much like you are as worried that Trump might win, but. Are you worried? Did, did did what 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 at the end of that hour and a half that felt like four hours? Did you walk away most worried about? Oh, we're so effed. Yeah, right. <laughs> Is it because it was it was it the statements about um, yes. the stoking the not not not. Uh, Calling out white supremacy for what yes, it is, not yes. c- More than condemning it, else. or yes. was it the discussion of you know him not being willing, perhaps, to accept the results of the election? The combination; those two together are a, a god awful elixir. But Joe and Biden himself even sort of said, "Listen, he's going to accept it. He has to accept but, it." But is no, he, being he naive? No, he doesn't have to accept anything. That's the point. That's always the point with Trump. When Trump is ever put in a position where he's required to do something, that's when he resists it the most, because for him, that's a sign of weakness. So when his advisors tell him, you should really, you should not uh, have um, a a meeting with Vladimir Putin, or you should not have the Russian uh, ambassador alone in the Oval Office, what does he do? The opposite. So just whenever, like just like a five year old, <laughs> just like a five year old. So whenever he's told that he can't do something, he wants to prove the system wrong. He, he wants he to a, prove that he can do it. Do you think he had a plan last night? I mean, one thing I have st- I turned off cable news since March. I have stuck to it even through the conventions, even through John Lewis's funeral. I watched all those on YouTube live just so I could not watch cable news. I broke my streak last night because I just could not fathom what I had gone through. I watched cable news and I watched a lot this morning, the morning after. Right. And and I turned to Fox. And one thing that shocked me and scared me and hurt me was that on that channel, there was very little criticism of the president and the way that he performed in the debate. And there were actually people who believed or feel that he did exactly what he came to do. Yep. He did elaborate on that. He did. He absolutely came, did what he came to do. What did he come to do? He came to disrupt the process right out of the gate. Literally. Was it just disrupting for the sake of disruption? Or do you think he wanted to change the story? Change the story from other things. Right. Well, he wanted to create, it wasn't so much changing the story. He wanted to create new stories. He wanted to create new discussion points. He wanted to shift the conversation away from things that he didn't want to talk about. Right. We're so, certainly not wh- talking about COVID. We certainly aren't talking about his taxes exactly. even today. I mean, what we're are we talking, talking about, about 
his behavior. Yeah. We're talking about his behavior. But that's not a winning strategy for him. Hasn't that well, been the one area where he... He cannot... got elected in 16, didn't he? Okay. And what were we talking about in 16? John Meacham talked a little bit about this morning on Morning Joe about what he thinks may may actually now be a silent Biden voter. Uh, that there may be people who have voted for Trump in 2016, have supported Trump throughout, but who may be willing to move over to Biden, but not willing to let other people know. Do you think that that's a possibility? Do you think that there might be shy people who aren't willing to let folks know they're not voting for President Trump anymore? I I do. I I think that's an interesting uh, analysis of a potential outcome from last night. Um, Because the one thing you would never think about would be people shy in their support, or at least somewhat reticent in their support of of Donald Trump, I mean, excuse me, of Joe Biden, uh, given everything that we know. But it actually does make sense from the standpoint, if you're looking specifically and particularly at um, Republicans um, and uh, center-right independent voters uh, who heretofore have been much more either vocal or at least presumed to have been uh, somewhat supportive of Trump, uh, I can see I can see them now sort of taking taking the sort of quiet route as a lot of voters did. Uh, I mean, you know, towards Trump in sixteen, doing the same thing right now um, towards Biden in twenty, where um, it's just easier. It's 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 a lot less messy and it's a lot less noise. Um, you're seeing you've seen Clay a number of of Republicans. Um, the most recent being the former RNC chairman, uh, Roscoe, uh, announced their support for Biden. So the question becomes, do you see more of that on the heels of last night? Or, right. I mean, I wonder, what's it take for George W. Bush to say something finally? Well, that's that's the $64,000 question for a lot of folks, because that's a mic drop when it happens. I mean, mm-hmm. it, you know, the former Republican president um, coming out and supporting him. Now, I've tried to get some back channel noise on some of that to get a gauge of where the the president is. And the, the best I've heard is uh, he's staying out of it. But right. that doesn't necessarily mean anything with 30 days, roughly 30 days left in the campaign. And, and he sat through um, what we sat through last night. <laughs> you have to imagine. Through, exactly. Exactly. He, but there's, you know. there's certainly there's certainly a... Uh, I can't take credit for this theory because John Meacham, like I said, had it. But I, there is certainly something to be said of about the fact that if you, if I tell you for three years how horrible and wrong you are and how stupid you are for voting for Donald Trump and how dare you do this to our country, et cetera, there becomes a point where you push me in a corner. I'm not. You're not going to change my mind that way. You know, you're not going to change my mind by telling me how dumb I am to support the person who I like. And I, and I have to wonder also if there's not a, there, if there's not a group of folks who watched last night or who have seen the past few weeks, the Trump's, the tax story, the whatever, who have, who might have finally said, you know what, this is, I can't do another four years of this. I'm going to vote for Biden, but I'll be damned if I'm going to ever tell anybody because I don't want to admit I'm wrong to these to these latte liberals who have been yeah. telling me how evil I am for the past three years. I'm not going to admit that they were right, but I'll do it quietly in the voting booth. 
Yeah, I, I think there's some. I, th- I think there's some uh, rationale to that. It makes sense in, in how people can work themselves up to taking an act like voting for Biden. Um, you know, despite the the criticisms that they've had from their friends uh, and their family members who looked at them like they had seven heads, um, mm. and and for some, they're willing to live with that impression. Uh, as opposed to, to, as you said, to show that, oh, Eating crow. guys are right, right? You know, I'm right. not going to eat that crow. So I'll let you just keep thinking that I'm supporting Trump. Um, for others, though, it will be a chance for them uh, to to come out and uh, play uh, directly to say, you know what, I was wrong and um, I can't take it anymore. And and those are people, by and large, who were um, semi-skeptical back in 16, but they just did not like Hillary and it was just too much. And yeah, you know, I'm a Republican, but he's not, he's not my brand of Republican, but he's not Hillary. All right. Right. And, and so, so then they had to save face at that time and sort of justify their vote. So they kind of got all bravado, you know, chest beating on Trump. And then, you know, a year to two years into that, they were like, Oh crap. (laughs) I mean, once you're on the boat, it doesn't really matter right. if it's thinking. You've got to go. And and I've listen. I've said all, all along. I don't think that my party and my fellow Democrats have done the smartest thing by not allowing people the opportunity to change their mind and instead attacking them for their position. Because I've always I've long believed that if you let people come, they'll get there if you let them. But if you keep on berating them for how horrible they were in the first place, there's no incentive. There's no incentive to come to the party late if you're going to get chastised for being late, you know? Well, you make you make such an excellent point. And I have, I'll have i share with you a conversation I had with your national chairman, who is a dear friend, uh, uh, Tom Perez. And we did a panel. We bo- we're both uh, our senior fellows at uh, Brown University's Watson Institute, which is really kind of cool to have the current national DNC chairman and the former national RNC chairman. Mm-hmm. Um, on the same faculty, so we, you know, we have we've done a couple of programs together, but we did this one program which was actually um, for C-SPAN, and it was shortly after Tom became chairman. And you know, I get it; you're a little bit full of yourself, and you know, you're going to take the party. You're in the opposition uh, role because you've got a president who um, you're running against, and you know, majority. Uh, you know, in the op- in the opposition party in the Senate, et cetera, and all that stuff. So I get that. I that I was in those shoes in two thousand nine. So I understand it. But he did, but he said uh, during the course of this, and it goes to the heart of what you just said. He started affirming what the Democratic Party was, and okay, I get that. I affirmed what the what the Republican Party was when I was chairman. But then he said that in in short. Pro-life folks are not welcome. Mm. If you're, you know, if you're pro-life, you're not going to find a home here because we support a woman's right to choose and reproductive health and all. And so I just so much for the big tent. Well, exactly. I looked at him and I said to him, I said, "Well, that's interesting, Tom, because you just told half the country you do not welcome them into this big tent of yours, into this party of yours." Because half the country believes like I do. 
in, in you know, the, the life position. Now, it doesn't mean that we're anti-choice or anti-reproductive health and all of the, the attendant formulations, but in terms of where we are on the life question, we're going to, you know, uh, demure to life versus anything else. But you just told me that you, your litmus test is such that I don't even need to bother entertaining a question of joining your party if I'm pro-life. Well, Biden sort of has the opposite. I mean, I, one he of the does. reasons I've liked him is he's had the... And do you think he's going to get in a lot of trouble for his I am the Democratic Party comment last night? Oh, he, where he will. <laughs> and and I, was that part of Trump's to, strategy to try to hurt his ba- hurt him with his own base? But here's the rub. Here's the... the, the it's so funny you bring that up because when he said that, I actually cringed and not for any reason that was really negative. Like, oh my God, why would you say that? Because he's absolutely right. He's the titular head of the party. Right. He is the embodiment as the nominee of the party. Uh, the platform is his platform. His, he directed what, the, what the, the tenets of the party would be for the next four years. Um, under his leadership as president and under his leadership, uh, you know, if he's not elected, uh, that's still going to go on. So it's going to set that court. Right. Right. So, but I cringe because I was thinking, Oh snap, they're going to be some progressives who will lose their mind. over. I thought the, I mean, I had the exact same reaction, but I'll tell you, and listen, Twitter is not the Twitter isn't and shouldn't be the, the public forum where I, find out how people really feel. But I, I was surprised that there just wasn't that much vitriol thrown at him from the left. Yes. And maybe it's because Trump made such a fool of himself well, that I, we forgot about that. But there were there were there was very little complaint from the left about him not specifically not specifically saying that he was not for, that he was for Medicare for all, for him not specifically supporting the Green New Deal. Um, I didn't see much blowback, actually. Maybe it's coming. It's probably coming, but I didn't see I it mean, last it, night. It may come, but I think, I, I, you know, the question, and you could probably answer this better than I, but my impression, at least, is that the left, and I'm using that euphemistically, yeah, you know, right. as opposed to the right, um, or the, you know, Democrats have largely decided okay yeah. we just you know i'll hold we do, well yes the goal is to the goal is to get rid of this president who most of us believe is not appropriate to be right. president and so, deal with now personally i happen and i've long said i love joe biden because he is not willing to be extreme um and he's he's you know i want to ask you this because it brings up the other question was he how did you feel about him not answering the court packing question you know, that was a, you know, funny you should ask that because that was actually another cringeworthy moment for me um, because I thought his answer came off as if he either A, had something to hide yeah. or B, that he was, he was actually being political in that moment. Yeah. And it's rare for him to do that. And I didn't and it's like it. It's rare for him to do that, that he was being political. And in and, and the course of the time of, in that, of that question, he was making political calculations in his mind as opposed to speaking from his heart. Right. Now, and I he has in the heart, past said he's against court packing. He said exactly, that as, as recently as the primary. Off, 
Exactly, exactly, which is why it came off the way it did, that it was this sort of political calculation to avoid creating controversy, which I can tell you as a former elected official and candidate that the moment you go to that space, you are doing nothing but creating controversy. <laughs> right, right. I mean, well, because because if you take a look at if you take a look at some of the more right wing media outlets, that's what they're attacking him for. He they're clearly didn't answer the question. He didn't answer right. the question. Why won't he say why? Whether I mean, personally, I am not. I I personally am not a big fan of the idea of court packing because I think it's a just going to lead to a Supreme Court with 400 members on it eventually because everybody will right. just keep doing it. But I would personally, even though I'm not for it, I would have rather him said everything's on the table, <laughs> like like Chuck Schumer is saying. Um, I'd rather him have given an answer than not given an answer at all. Well, um, and yeah, and I think, see, for me, the answer would would have been whatever you've answered before. So if your answer last week at the announcement uh, of RBG's death was, we, I do not support the idea of court packing, then your answer the week after her funeral is, I do not support court packing. Right. So, so it, for me, it's not a complicated because that ex- that is exactly where sixty percent, sixty five percent of the American people are. They don't want to see the Supreme Court, to your point, be used as a ping pong where you know in you know fifteen twenty years you got a hundred people on the damn court. Um, so, so stick with what you know, and don't don't in those moments be political. And I think I think on that question, which was the only question of the night where I felt that he actually made a political calculation that I think will come back to bite him. What does he need to do differently next time? And actually, you know what? Um, the next time is going to be if interesting because the dynamics will shift because it's a town hall. Right. right so right. a moderator will be actually an, an ancillary player. The voters will be the ones asking the questions. So that'll, that's going to be his strength. But when he gets to it, and, he, and I agree with that, and, I, and probably Trump won't be able to talk over the, oh, the no, no, town I hall he questioners. Won't. Well, he might, but it'll hurt him more for sure. Exactly. But, but let's look at what I said to somebody the other day. Kristen Welker has probably turned her phone off and left the country because <laughs> she's looking at this third debate and saying, I want nothing to do with that crap. When they get Very. back... When they get back to with Kristen Welker at the end of October or towards the end of October, and it's just the two of them together. Uh, so either the question I'm asking is, what does he need to do differently next time in the same setting, or what should he have done differently last night? I don't night? think there's nothing, there's nothing more that he could have done differently that would have changed the outcome. Because as you saw, even Chris Wallace couldn't get the president to abide by the rules that his own team had agreed to. Did he so hurt himself was, by saying shut up and calling him a clown? No, no. In fact, given, 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 if he said it the first time, yeah. But after 15 attempts to engage a conversation and being interrupted and cut off and, and, and you know, belligerent responses from Trump, yeah, everybody in America, because I can tell you by the time, by the time he got there, I was using all kinds of words that. that oh, I was through the screen. I was through yeah. the screen. I wanted him to pick the podium up and throw it. But yeah. I wonder how people, and, and listen, I still don't know who undecided voters are at this point, but I wonder there how people any. who are. There aren't any. People who are waffling, <laughs> people whose votes are soft, I wonder how they saw it. And if, they, saw, and if, they saw it the way you saw it. I mean, there, 
their 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 colorization of this is no different from yours because those people who are soft they are more than likely leaning biden anyway and and they're not and, and by that i mean that yes they were with trump but trump has done enough to move them off of him we've seen that reflected in national polling which i'm not an advocate of national polling but this election has sort of rewritten the script on those because of the level of consistency. What national pollings, why national pollings have always been a problem is that they're like a roller coaster. They go up, they go down. It's like, you know, my mood changed today. So today, today I support candidate X. And then tomorrow's like, oh my God, I had a, you know, bad, bad lunch. And today, you know, so now I'm supporting candidate Y. But this has been consistent from about May with a, with a high single low double digit lead for Joe Biden. So I think a lot of this this conversation around people who are soft uh, are folks who are now just looking for the final reason to say I'm supporting Joe Biden. Uh, and I think last night gave them 101 reasons yeah. to do that. Uh, and you'll see that I think reflected in the post-election, post-debate um, uh, polling. Hi, I'm Ariel Demaras, and I'm hosting a new podcast called Vice News Reports. With so much going on around the world, so many people telling you they have the definitive take on the news. We bring you to the news so you can hear it for yourself. From the newsroom that has earned more Emmy nominations than any other news team, this podcast goes where the story is, from conflict zones to the labyrinth of digital life. You've never traveled quite like this. Get the Vice News Reports podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Why did wax replicants crowd an Italian church? And what do wax organs tell us about the history of medicine? Why does the Minotaur still intrigue us? And why would its bovine mouth crave human flesh? Hi, I'm Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. Join us on the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast for the entire month of October as we take our annual descent into a host of bloody, monstrous, and terrifying topics. From forest spirits that beckon you off the path to wax sculptors on a rampage, we'll be looking at spooky subjects all this month to peel away the flesh and reveal the underlying science and history and leave you with an even richer understanding of a world that's always weirder than we can imagine. What sorts of scientific concepts can we glean from episodes of The Outer Limits or Tales from the Dark Side? And what's the ghastly history and promising future of blood substitutes? Join us to find out. New Halloween-themed episodes publish twice a week with older Vault episodes re-entering the world on Saturdays to spread around some of last year's grisly offerings. Listen to the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, Rick Santorum, who on CNN last night, who's been pretty vocally supportive of Trump in almost every situation. Yeah. Um, you know, let's 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 assume I'm going to take hope from what you've said, uh, and let's assume that Trump did put a nail in his coffin himself um, and move on to some of these down ballots. Because Rick Santorum last night was was sort of critical of Trump. He said, you know, he didn't. He didn't. He overplayed his hand. He didn't do a good job. And he said, "If I'm a down ballot candidate uh, in a state like Pennsylvania, um, or in a state like Iowa, or Colorado, or North Carolina, he said he did not think that those down ballot candidates were very happy with the top of their no, they weren't. Tonight. No, if I, especially if I'm a down ballot candidate, 
who's hitched my wagon in any way to Donald Trump. So guess what question I'm getting asked by the local press today? Of course. So do you agree with the president in his support of white nationalism? So if you're John James running for the U.S. Senate in Michigan and you've got the city of Detroit sitting in your backyard, what's your answer going to be? Since you've already glommed on to Trump and you've already embraced him in some form or other to get through the nomination process to get, and I think Trump wound up in Detroit. He's an African-American candidate. So what's he going to say? What's Tom Tillis going to say in North Carolina? Right. Well, see, those are the ones that I'm, I mean, John James, with all due respect, doesn't have as close a race as Tom Tillis well, he's and, five Joni, and Joni Ernst, though. But Joni Ernst, we're talking about two, if that. Yeah, well, Joni's in Iowa. Iowa is a safe Republican state, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but it shouldn't be. I mean, it, it should be. It, it should be a safe Republican state. Right. But for her, what does she do? How does she How does she respond? Or, or are we just going to hear them be quiet? And, and they're going to try to be quiet every day. The press, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're going to try to be quiet, but the press is not going to allow it. It's just no way. There's no way in hell you can get away from from taking a position on what happened on that stage last night with respect to white nationalists if you're running for the United States Senate. Tim There's Scott's not no running. Way. Tim Scott's not running this year, but he gave it a shot to, to take a position. And your thoughts on what he said? Did you hear his response this morning? No, what was his response? His response to to Trump not being able to, to condemn white nationalists. Uh, he said and I'm going to have to paraphrase because I don't have it in front of me, but he essentially said, I think he misspoke. Um, I think he was trying to answer something different from Chris Wallace, and he misspoke. If he didn't, if he misspoke, I think he needs to correct himself. If he doesn't correct himself, then I guess he didn't misspeak. Oh, that's such bull. I'm well, yeah, sorry. I don't know exactly what it means, no, but, but it, still, was, it, it, it was surprising it, to no, be so it, weak. It, it, it's, it's, it's tepid, and that's why Republicans are going to lose the Senate. And that's why guys like Scott and others think that they're going to be able to escape by. He ought to pay very close attention to Tim, to Tim's, um, uh, to, uh, what's his name? Uh, Lindsay John, Graham. Not, Lindsay Graham. Thank you. Thank you. I'm all over the, all I over was the having to read there. your mind there though, but you're talking yeah, about yeah, the no, same state yeah. who is on the ballot. Pay attention year. to that race because trust me, that brother who's running against, against Lindsay, Jamie Harrison, Jamie Harrison, trust me. If he ain't, if he loses this one, guess who's up next? Yeah. So he better be paying close attention because the reality of it is you're not going to be able to get away with that. You're just not going to be able to get away with soft peddling. Oh, well, I think he misspoke. Really? How the hell do you misspeak on, 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 um, white nationalism when you are asked the question three times? How do you misspeak? Well, I, I think, and I think that they're they're arguing. Uh, I, I think Jason Collins said today for the for the Trump campaign said that what he meant was stand down and stand by the wayside. Um, oh, please! I mean, yeah, we can please. all we can all choose whether or not we want to believe that <laughs> and maybe spin. But I wanted to be fair and no, tell you what you their argument what the was. Is, Clay, you know what the answer is to the question: Do you condemn white nationalism? Yes. That's right. the answer. End of. There, there is no stand down and stand by, stand back, raise your pant leg. So, no. What do you think the campaigns are doing both right now? I mean, after they walked off that stage, I have a feeling, and I don't blame, I wouldn't blame him. I have a feeling Biden might have put a fist through a wall somewhere. But, um, <laughs> but what are the campaigns doing after that? What are they, 
do you think the can- the Trump campaign really truly feels good about that performance? No, or no, do they you think- don't. I know they don't. No, nope, no. Nope, what do you nope. What do you think they're thinking or trying to do? I can tell you what they're thinking uh, because I've, I've I've listened to a number of them already, and they're they're concerned. They're concerned because the the president. That's why I use the term that I use. The president skewered himself. I mean, it's one thing to be skewered by your opponent. That that you can recover from, right? Right. But when you take the when you take the skewers and you poke them in your own eye, you take the knife and you cut your own flesh. What? I, that's hard. That's hard to come it's back. Hard to from. repair from. Yeah. It's hard to repair from because everybody's like, "Well, you did this to yourself." So now we're going to use your words against you. So well, I wanna, you, what kind of TV ads do you think the Biden campaign is going to be making for the next, for the last three weeks of this campaign? I mean, listen, if I were them, I'd just run <laughs> one minute clips of the debate. <laughs> let people see it. One, you do one minute, you do two ads. One ad is all of the interruptions and the brutishness and, the, and, the, and you just let it play. And in the last 10 seconds, it says, and this is how he's run the last four years of our yeah. government. Do you want another Vote four? Vote Joe right? Biden. You know, no, you don't have to ask them. Do you, do you want another four? You just say, this is how he's run the government for the last four years. Vote Joe Biden. Boom, yeah. you're done. And the second ad is the exchange between him and Chris Wallace. And you play that out. And at the end of that, the voiceover comes on exactly what I said to you. So the answer to the question, do you reject white nationalism, is yes. Vote Joe Biden. And then yeah. it's not complicated. Yeah. And the country sees that and they go, yeah, well, I can't argue with that. Well, I want to get on to, I, I, I totally agree. Um, I want to get on to our quick fire question in a second, but I did say I'd come back to the Supreme Court uh, confirmation just briefly because I wanted to, I just wanted to say myself, after last night, you know, I sort of, uh, personally, we can, we can disagree, it's fine. I, I, I'm, not happy at all by the pushing through of this this Supreme Court nominee, uh, and, and right. I consider it hypocritical con- considering what was done in 2016. But I will say last night, I sort of had to, and I'll get people, I'll get hate mail for this for even saying it, but I had to concede a little bit. I understand, because I think that Mitch McConnell has calculated already he's going to lose the Senate, he's going to lose the White House, and his party is going to have no power for at least the next two years. Um, and, and at this point, it feels like it's a calculation for, I have to get it done. I mean, I was always, I was always sort of curious, why would they want to have the vote before the election? Because if you do that, you take away any incentive for anyone to vote for you, hold it after the election so that people want to vote so that they get their way. But the fact that he's pushing it through before the election sort of makes me think he's already baked into the numbers that he's not going to be the majority leader come January. And therefore, he wants to get this this nominee put through. So at least he's got a swan song. Uh, I can't I can't see any other reason than he is. He has already calculated how this is going to play in November. Do you do you think that's why they're doing it early? No, I mean, I think that's partly it. But they're 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 a a handful of other reasons uh, for this strategy. Uh, the The calculation, Mitch McConnell, by and large, still believes that um, there they can salvage the Senate at least right now. He knows he's got a couple of guys on the bubble, but he can afford to lose two. Um, and they, they, you know, they're banking on you know folks sort of. Again, this is pre-debate. All right, so the debates 
changes and we'll see how much it changes calculations right. by how people speak and move over the next week. But the calculation was, you know, yeah, we're, we'll probably take a hit uh, in, a, in a state like North Carolina. Uh, we'll probably take a hit in Maine. But we saw, we've seen just in the last week, the, the gap in Maine moved from 12 to 5 right. for, for Susan Collins. So she's down now only by five points. Whereas 10 days ago, it was 12. So he, he knows how that fluctuates. The other, though, the, the push to put this in motion had more to do with the state of Arizona than anything else. And the reason for that is the election between uh, Commander Kelly um, and um, Martha McSally. And, and Martha, yeah, McSally is a special election. Right. This is to fill the seat vacated by the death of John McCain. People kind of forget that because remember, senators run for six years. So this is to fill out the remainder of that seat. She was appointed and they decided to push the election instead of holding the election, you know, last year, they decided to push it to the presidential year. Right. Because they so he can be that, sworn in before January. Right. Well, well, but more importantly, she would be on the ballot with the president and would reinforce her reelection in the right. state that was trending blue. Right. The problem is she's working. going to lose that seat. <laughs> she's going to lose that seat now. I mean, she's down by 12 points right. three weeks out. Okay. And so Kelly would be, would take the seat. Guess when? November 3rd. November, right. And if you push the vote for Senate confirmation beyond the election into November, so you'll have the problem that you now just lost one seat, one vote. They could still vote in the first two weeks of November, though, yeah? It would be very hard to do with an election that's still unsettled. Some of these senators may not know if they've been reelected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would be very hard. It would be extremely hard to do. Is there a you, chance that Cory Gardner changes his mind and the polls convince him that he needs to not vote yet? It very, it very well could. Um, I, I, I think though this is baked in. I think that she's going to get uh, the appointment. Uh, she's got the appointment. I think she's going to be confirmed, uh, and will take the seat uh, and will be on the bench before. Um, Shoot, probably before the Supreme Court term, <laughs> but I mean that's obviously uh, not true, and before the I mean, Obamacare case potentially. Yeah, yeah, right before November tenth, she'll be on the court. Okay, I want to ask a few questions that our listeners wrote in uh, specifically for you. Kara from Phoenix asks: Will either side accept the election results if the other side wins? Uh, Joe Biden said last night uh, without hesitation that he will accept the results of the election. Um, and if he's if he's defeated, he will concede at the appropriate time. And if he if he wins, he would hope the same from Trump. Donald Trump, on the other hand, told us again last night, as he has several times before, that he will not accept the results of the election at face value because he's already projecting that if he loses, it's because it's rigged. Erica from Seattle asks: Are Antifa and the Proud Boys equally dangerous? 
they are and and but for different reasons and in different respects keep in mind and 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 while there was this was one of those moments on the on the stage last night that kind of got lost in translation because trump kept having his excited utterances at at what biden said without recognizing understanding what biden had said biden made the point that antifa is not an organization it's an idea it's a philosophy it's what people there's there's no structure to it and that's not Joe Biden saying that. That's Donald Trump's own Justice Department that has said that about Antifa. So they are they are dangerous as an idea. Anyone who resorts to violence, anyone who feels that the only way they can communicate change in this country is by violent means is a threat to the nation. I don't care if you're on the left. I don't care if you're on the right. I don't care if you wrap yourselves in Easter bunnies you are still a threat to the foundational principles of the country. So whether you're Antifa or, or poor boys or whatever you are, that's, that's the situation. You, you put yourself in league with terrorist organizations, should be ordained as such, deemed as such by our, our criminal justice system, and prosecuted appropriately. So that's, for me... This is not even a question to debate. So if Antifa decides to show up at a rally, even in support of, you know, Black Lives Matter and and civil rights and civic justice, but commits acts of of hate and commits acts of violence. Hey, baby, welcome to the cell, because that's where you're going. <laughs> OK, two more. Um, well. One more and then one that I'm not going to make you answer, but I'm going to ask anyway. Brian from Charlotte asks, was it a mistake for Biden not to hit back at Trump last night? No, I don't think so. Because, you know, sometimes, sometimes, and it goes back to when you were in school, and and you and I have actually kind of talked about this before, about the bully, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You were bullied as a young boy. Mm -hmm. I was bullied as a young boy, right? Um, And sometimes that moment comes. When the bully overplays his hand (laughs) and all the other kids on the schoolyard for the first time in some cases realize this guy's a real a-hole. This guy is a real jerk. This guy is a bully. And the reason they realize it is how you took your stand. Right. You took your stand and you said this far, no further with your kind. Right. You didn't have to raise your fist. You didn't have to cuss him out. You just stood your ground. And that's essentially what Joe Biden did after that moment where he told him, would you shut up? You can see his whole demeanor change from there on and how he approached Donald Trump. He realized, oh, I get what you're doing. He, As my mama used to say, you'll appreciate this as a good old Southern boy like myself. My mama used to say, no, don't you go out there and show your ass. Yes. <laughs> You know Trump exactly what she Trump was saying, right? Ass, like, yes, yes. You Trump know exactly what she was night. telling you, right? <laughs> yes. So, and Donald Trump did that last night. In fact, I tweeted that out. I said, "America tonight, our president showed his ass." Yes, I understood and, that exactly. Completely, and that's exactly <laughs> what happened. And the country saw it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think Joe Biden did the right thing. He didn't need to fight him. He didn't need to to get in the because he's learned. I mean, we saw what happened to Marco Rubio when you do that, right? I thought his response, honestly, to to Hunter Biden's, to Trump's attacks on his son um, and his 
fight with drug addiction was incredibly poignant, specifically to your point, because it was raw, it was real. And he said, you know, my son has struggled with this. Um, Like many other people, many of you who are watching have family members who have done, who have struggled with drug addiction. He has combated it and I'm really proud of him. And I thought that could, could not have been a better response because it was exactly what you said. It was letting people see Trump for what he was, a bully. Hey, Clay, here's the part. Here's the typical irony with Donald Trump. What he didn't was his know it. Bro- <laughs> what? No, no, no. But better than that, what was his brother's problem? Oh, uh, yeah. He was an alcoholic. Well, right? He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't see these things. He doesn't see, he doesn't think about that. And he also doesn't think about the fact that what he did and how Joe responded just made him look worse. And I don't think it, it he right. right. So, you know, he, he, he cast these aspersions on people. And, and those of us who've known him and have watched him, especially over the last, it's projection. When Donald Trump says something negative about you, it's typically he's projecting what he yep. thinks about himself or something that's personal to him. So when he goes after Joe Biden's son for his addiction issues, he's projecting the addiction issues he had to deal with in his own family. I mean, his, his, his niece has shared a lot of that storyline with us, right. his own sister. So we, we know what we know what the man is. And I think the country for the first time saw a president who was not only unhinged, but was incompetent to sit behind the resolute desk. And it doesn't matter anymore, Clay, whether you uh, get a tax cut or you like the regulatory reform or, gee, I really am a, you know, an Amy Comey Barrett fan doesn't matter anymore because at the end of the day that individual behind that desk is an extension of us of us it's not being an avatar well right? the emperor has no clothes after last night exactly exactly so um this last question i'm not going to ask you to answer but i'm going to read it because it it's kind of it kind of pisses me off um we it take questions okay. it does it does a little bit and i'll explain why we take questions from all listeners i try to make sure that you know anyone who comes in you can send yours um to us on Twitter or Instagram at Politicon, or you can email them, uh, podcasts at Politicon.com. Um, and, you know, I get them sent to me, and we'll take any comers and try to ask the questions to our guests um, as they're sent. But this one's a little incendiary, and I, so I don't want you to answer it. I'm not going to say who it's from. Well, it's from a, a listener in Columbus, uh, Ohio, who okay. asks, when are you going to come out as a Democrat? And the reason I don't want you to answer that... <laughs> is because it, wa- it it leads me to ask you a different question, which is why why are we looking for purity tests from from our our politicians? I mean, I have to assume that that was written by a, a listener who uh, doesn't like the fact that you, as the former chairman of the Republican Party, are not willing to support the current Republican nominee blindly. I get a lot of crap. I'll probably get crap from for being nice to a Republican on the <laughs> myself today. Um, but, but it's so unfair to assume that we're not, that we're not multidimensional people. You can be pro-life and still not have, not be happy with this particular president. 
you can be a Republican and not be happy with this particular president. It's unfair to assume that because you don't like this particular president and the way he's done things, that you are all of a sudden not qualified or not good enough to be a Republican. And it's unfair that because I don't want to pack the court that I'm not liberal enough. I mean, I'm pretty damn liberal, but I'm not. Yeah, no, you are. You are unreasonable. But I'm not unreasonable and I don't want to destroy democracy. And so what is that problem? Why are we looking for that purity test that that listener asked? You know, and so I'll answer the question for the listener, because I think actually it's a fair question to ask. I mean, because a lot it's so funny. And I tell I tell a lot of my Democratic friends this now. I say, y'all, y'all loving the hell out of me right now. I said, but let me tell you, if Joe Biden becomes president, y'all yeah. going to hate my guts. Because, I won't hate you. I'll just disagree with you on policy right. no, instead I mean, of I, politics. I, I say that you you know? But I just say, you will, you will find that we will be disagreeing a lot on yeah. economy and environment and all this other stuff. But here's, here's the rub. I, I, you know, I think it, the underlying point of your question is an important one, and it really kind of speaks to how our political landscape has shifted in a way that the tribalism demands allegiance. And that, you know, if you, as, and you put it very well, if you believe certain things and, and yet you speak in a way that, you know, doesn't fit the characterization of people who you think believe those things, right? Mm-hmm. So in other words, because you're pro-life and pro-Second Amendment, which I am, and, and you know, free market and, and, you know, all of that good stuff, you have, people have worked up in their head what a Republican sounds like when they speak about those things. So when I start talking about poverty and the poor versus, you know, uh, programs, even right. like opportunity zones, which I'm, you know, I, I'm fine, but that's not really helping poverty. That's not helping the poor um, so much. People kind of they 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 get that Scooby Doo moment. They go, hmm? you know, it's like because because poverty tends to be a, a a watchword for for liberalism. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, because poverty is a watchword for liberalism, and poverty is is a watchword for black. So. Right. Even though God forbid you be a Republican who wants to what? help people well, who are right. poor. <laughs> exactly. So as a, as a you're, you're black and Republican and you care about poor people, that's not right. There's something wrong here. Well, so, so it's how our politics have gotten twisted. And you make the absolute point that it's not my politics. It is my compassion. It is my, it is my value set. It is how I was raised. Now, I was raised in a Democratic household. My mama and my daddy were Roosevelt Democrats. I was, I was only the second Republican in my family. My aunt before me, my daddy's sister was Republican, and no one talked to her. So, <laughs> so That's why nobody talks to me in my family. Right, right, <laughs> right. So, and you grew up in the opposite, in yeah. the opposite household, right? But, mm-hmm. but your mama raised you well. Your mama raised you to be a decent human being. Your mama raised you to see value in other people. Your mother didn't raise you to discount someone because they didn't look like you, sound like you, walk like you, etc. She raised you better than that. And so when you now bring that lesson to your politics, people get confused because, well, you're a liberal and you're a white Southerner. How does that work? 
Well, and I'm not willing to to hate you because I'm not willing to fight and hate you because you don't agree with me on everything. Everything, exactly. And and the art of consensus. I don't use the word compromise anymore because it's become such a pejorative yeah. in politics. People just automatically, reflexively uh, react to it. But the art of of consensus allows us to bring those values into the conversation, to bring it into policymaking, to bring it into legislative efforts in a way that we can work towards the better angels in each of us, even though we stand on opposite sides of this issue. That's how the nation was able to balance its budget for four years under Bill Clinton and Newt Gingrich, two very politically <laughs> opposite individuals, right. but brought, a, brought their value set to the table in such a way that they could reach a consensus around the things that were important to the American people. And that's why I stay in the party. That's why I fight the good fight as best I can for as long as I can, because those values still matter to me. And that's why I love coming on your podcast and having a conversation with you, because I know while we may disagree on some aspects of healthcare or, or regulatory policy or government spending, I know your heart's in the right place. And so even in that conversation, which may get tense from time to time, we can reach a consensus that A, something's got to be done, and B, let's at least outline what the parameters of that something could be. And that's all the country is asking for. I still have hope that they're that the majority of people want to do it that way because yes, that's how we do. that's because that's how we live in our in our everyday life. We all have family members who we don't agree with, but we still know how to love them and be respectful even if we just have to say decide, well, I'm just not going to talk politics with them. We know how to act like we've got some home training, you know, when we're right. around somebody we disagree with. Right. But we don't but for whatever reason we don't do it on we won't do it on Twitter and we don't do it in in politics and I and I do believe I do hope that that come November fourth or whatever day, not November fourth. I shouldn't set expectations. Come November whatever, when we know who the new president will be or the next president will be, that that hopefully people will put down their swords a little bit and realize, you know what? I think in part we may be at a place where we have Trump because we we bitched and complained and moaned about how horrible George W. Bush was. And how horrible Mitt Romney was, and what, what what you know what was left. I mean, yeah, you, they had to go to an eleven, yeah, because, because we wouldn't yeah. listen to their we yeah. wouldn't listen to their nines and tens. When right. when when Colin Kaepernick kneeled, and people lost their minds as if though it was the most horrific and unpatriotic thing to do to kneel at, for the national anthem in protest. If that was it, I mean, what else? Where you, we tried to protest by kneeling peacefully, you didn't listen. We tried to march. We talked about this last time we're here. We tried to march, and you didn't listen. So what's left? I'm not. Con- I'm not condoning riots, and I know you don't either. But I do understand that you know we're at an eleven. What's next? Break the knob off. And, well, and what and, I'm and, hoping is we cur- to learn to turn the volume down before we break the volume off, off and we're well, screwed and, forever. And I agree with that a thousand percent. And what people who are, and you don't have to be a student of history uh, as much as just go back and look at the latter half of Dr. King's life and listen to his message. Dr. King, even Dr. King, the preacher of nonviolence recognized at a certain point 
the value of that protest um, and, and, and folks, you know, taking to the streets in a way to express, okay, you put it well. You know, I'm, I'm shouting at you. I'm screaming at you. I'm standing here politely. I'm not trying, you know, and you still are ignoring me. So at a certain point, the community realizes, I don't have your attention yet, do I? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and, and so let me get your attention so you can focus on my pain. And that's all the Black Lives Movement was always about. You're killing our young boys. Can you feel my pain? I mean, this is not the pain of a of a of a of a black mother. This is the pain of a mother who happens to be black, and yet you still ignore it. So yeah, we're now going to emphasize the black part because you you're not treating me as any other mother mm-hmm. would be treated, right? And well. and so that that changes the dynamics after a point when you continually, you know, show your disregard for black life in the way that it has. And yeah, I'm sorry. At a certain point, look, you're either going to let someone wail on you or at some point you're going to, you know, when they raise up their fist and they bring you down, you're going to stop it with your hand and you're going to take your other hand and you're going to punch them. Mm -hmm. Well, last night, I've said over and over, I keep using the beating the hell out of this metaphor, but we last night, the volume, the volume knob is as far as it's going to go. So either we have to learn how to turn it down so that we have a little runway left when we want to get angry, or right. we are just going to choose to turn it further and break it off, and then we won't even be able to turn it down anymore. And and I think that last night, I hope, I hope, I keep saying this all year, I've said it, I hope that last night was the bottom. Um, it, it felt like it to me, uh, but I certainly, <laughs> uh, I certainly can, hope can that I it say was, something? please. There's more bottom to come, baby. I'm well, sorry. shit. <laughs> I was about to wrap this thing up and say, Michael Steele, thank you so much for making me feel better and lowering my blood pressure. But then it just jacked all the way back up again with that. So I, 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 I trust you and I believe that you may be right. And it's 2020, so I don't dare pretend yeah, that, it, that it's going to get better. <laughs> but I hope you're wrong there. <laughs> I hope I'm wrong too. But 2020's been a bitch. So 2020 you know kissed my I, ass. <laughs> I cannot wait for it to be over. I said last week for Rosh Hashanah, I'm thinking about becoming Jewish just so I can have a new year (laughs) starting now. (laughs) Michael, thank you so much. You did help lower my blood pressure and hopefully our listeners too. So thank you so much. We'll definitely definitely hear from you again. And hopefully next time it won't be because my blood pressure medication wasn't working and I needed you to help me out. But Michael Steele, thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate it. You got it, buddy. Take care. 13 Days of Halloween, a remote hotel, the most unusual guests, a tour guide that can't be trusted, and the newest arrival is you. Why are you here again? They sound like someone you trust. I know you can hear me. Starring Keegan-Michael Key as the caretaker. Please make yourself at home. After all, this is it. One story each night starting October 19th and ending on Halloween. From iHeartRadio and Blumhouse Television, listen to Aaron Mankey's 13 Days of Halloween on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On September 17th, 2009, 24-year-old Mitrice Richardson disappeared without a trace in the woods near Malibu, California, and was never seen alive again. 
I'm Katherine Townsend, host of the podcast, Helen Gone. We're going to try to find out what really happened to Maitrese Richardson. School of Humans and iHeartRadio present Helen Gone, Season 3. Listen to Helen Gone on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.